Good morning. Welcome to this edition of China Takes Over the World. I am Ying Ma. We are honored to have it with us this morning. Retired Admiral Gary Roughhead of the U.S. Navy, a former Chief of Naval Operations, and one of only two officers in the U.S. Navy's history to have commanded both the Atlantic and the Pacific fleets. Admiral Roughhead, thanks for joining us this morning. Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk. In recent years, there has been a lot of discussion in the U.S. and in Asia about America's pivot to Asia. No doubt, President Barack Obama's recent visit to Asia in late April heightened the attention paid to this issue.、Um, standing back for a moment, do you think the pivot has caused U.S. allies in Europe to believe the U.S. is actually pivoting away from them, even if Washington vehemently denies that? <laughs> Well, I think the way that the、uh, rebalancing, which is how I prefer to refer to it, <laughs>、uh, has has、uh, come out, it it could easily have been interpreted that by some that we were we were pivoting away because my view is if you pivot towards something, you're turning away from something else. But and that's why I prefer to use the term rebalance. And I think what it does is it. It really captures the importance that、uh, that we place on Asia,、uh, the relationships that we have there, particularly the strong alliances that are in place and which have contributed so much to the prosperity and the security of the region. I think if you look globally, you'll see that the United States remains engaged and involved. And I would go so far as to say indispensable in many areas of the world. But even though we're rebalancing, we have not walked away, and our interests in Europe and in the Middle East, and indeed in in Africa, and I would even say in South America,、uh, are、uh, are are apparent. And indeed, the Obama administration now prefers to use the term rebalancing as well.、Um, well, in February, you wrote in an article for Strategica, an online security publication, that the U.S. approach has been. Um, uh, quote has been and must continue to be that no one country dominates Asia. Unquote. If China keeps growing economically, politically, and militarily, is it possible for the U.S. approach that you described to succeed without an active effort to contain China's rise? I, I really believe that it is possible to succeed because our interests have been、uh, for decades. To ensure a safe and secure and prosperous Asia, that's what our interests are, and、uh, our alliances and like-minded partners in the region、uh, all contribute to that. And so, I think even though China is growing militarily and economically,、uh, the fact remains that the role of the U.S. as the some people have called it a balancer or a stabilizer. Uh, I think is vitally important and is appreciated in the region, at least from my interactions that I've had there. And so I think it is、uh, possible. And and the fact of the matter is, and having been involved in in the Pacific for quite some time,、uh, the the intent has never been to contain China.、Uh, there's no question that we will compete. At times with China and in certain areas, but we've also, over the years,、uh, have, have sought to develop、uh, cooperative、uh, aspects to the relationship, and we continue to do that.、Uh, you know, in my area of experience, the fact,、uh, for example, that that China has been invited to participate in the in the largest. 
uh, maritime exercise in the world, the Rim of the Pacific exercise, I think is indicative of the fact that, that we do not want to contain, but rather look for ways to cooperate uh, and, and, and develop the means and the practices to be able to work more closely together going into the future. Uh, just very quickly, does that exercise happen um, in Hawaii? Yes, it does. Okay. It, it happens every two years in Hawaii. While President Obama was in Asia last week, the media reported that the U.S. Pacific Command, which you used to head up, has prepared options for how to respond robustly to what would be perceived as future Chinese provocations in the South and East China Seas. And these options, according to news reports, range from displays of B-2 bomber flights near China to expanded U.S. surveillance flights to aircraft carrier exercises near China's coastal waters. What are your thoughts on these military options? Are they muscular enough to provocative or just about right? Well, one of the things, I think you're referring to news reports. Yes. And what I would, uh, <laughs> what I would uh, Well, because the military is, won't call me up and tell me what they're doing. All I can do is go by news reports. <laughs> well, I, I, I think that if you look at what uh, the U.S. military, and, and, I, and I'd like to say what the Navy has done over the years, is, is to have a very, very robust set of activities and exercises that span a range of, uh, of, of military operations. Everything from humanitarian assistance to search and rescue to some of the more complex uh, anti-submarine warfare exercises and and air defense exercises. So, you know, if you look at what the Pacific Command has done uh, for decades, the number of exercises in the region in any given year is, is uh, you know, well over 150. So these are things that are always ongoing, that our forces in cooperation with other forces are always looking at better ways to cooperate and to develop the tactics and the techniques that that will come into play in a, in a range of uh, of activities. I, I I would say that even you know some of the skills that we seek to develop were on display when you had uh, several countries participating in the search effort for the Malaysian airliner. Uh, those were military forces that have to come together quickly and have to be able to cooperate and to share information. And, oh, by the way, China was one of the participants in that. Right, so those course. are some of the things that we do. Um, so, you know, we are always going to be uh, exercising and, and ensuring that our military is prepared to respond to a range of contingencies. And that's what we do. Well, well, that's, along what any, with, that's what any nation does with its military. Well, along with these new military options that, are uh, that have been reported <laughs> in the media. We've also heard about the um, the deployment of, of U.S. Marines to Darwin, Australia, the return mm -hmm. of American troops to the Philippines on a rotational basis, more robust military cooperation with Japan. Uh, why should the Chinese not see these activities or measures as an effort to encircle them, and why should they not see the pivot or the rebalance as a thinly veiled attempt to contain their rise? Well, I've, I think uh, one of the main reasons is that we have always been in the region. We have always been working closely with our friends and uh, allies and, and partners. We have, in recent years, uh, reached out to China to uh, 
encourage the PLA to participate in, in activities, and, and I've cited RIMPAC, but there are port visits that have taken place and some, some rudimentary search and rescue exercises. So the, the nature of what we're doing uh, really is a continuation, in my view, of the role that the, the U.S. military has played in the region for quite some time. And in fact, you know, we've, we're coming off of almost 12 years of, uh, of intense combat operations in Iraq and Afghanistan. And the fact that the forces, uh, as we draw those forces down, are now available to work more closely with our Asian friends and partners, I think is a very positive thing. And the fact that we uh, have uh, reached out to China to participate in in these exercises, I think, is indicative of the fact that it is not a containment strategy. We are speaking with retired U.S. Navy Admiral Gary Roughhead, who is formerly the Chief of Naval Operations and com- Commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet. L- let's talk a bit about uh, Sino-American military cooperation. Uh, you've mentioned that the U.S. has invited China to participate in a number of, of U.S. military initiatives. And, and when in Beijing in April, U.S. Defense Secretary Chuck Hagel identified a number of areas of mutual interest between China and America. They include counter-piracy, humanitarian assistance, and disaster relief, um, military medicine, and maritime safety. Um, obviously, there, there's there been cooperation between China and, and the U.S. and a number of other parties in the, the search for the missing Malaysian um, um, airliner uh, in recent months. But is there, in terms of a number of the areas that um, that Secretary Hagel mentioned, is there already significant cooperation going on between the two countries in those areas, and and um, or has bilateral military cooperation increased in recent years in those areas? I I would say that in my view, uh, and I often surprise some U.S. audiences that I speak with, uh, it, that. The fact that the United States, uh, particularly the United States Navy and the PLA Navy, have been conducting daily operations together for almost five years is quite surprising to many. And that those operations are counter-piracy operations in uh, the Somali Basin on the east coast of Africa. Uh, that That is an ongoing multinational effort uh, with the PLA Navy involved in it and, and other navies. But I think that that is probably one of the uh, the 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 most uh, representative examples of uh, the opportunities that we have to work uh, closely together. Uh, clearly, uh, humanitarian assistance is uh, is going to be part of of any future cooperation as we go forward. Because for those of us that have lived and operated in the Pacific, uh, we know that uh, it is not a stranger to uh, humanitarian uh, emergencies. And so the ability for us and China and other countries to work closely together, I think, is key. In fact, uh, part of the RIMPAC exercise 
will will be a humanitarian component, and um, and the PLA Navy will, as I understand it, be bringing their hospital ship, and we will be doing likewise so that we can look at ways to better cooperate together. Sure. I think the other area, search and rescue, is uh, is important because uh, we've just had a very tragic example of that with, as you pointed out, the Malaysian airliner. But there are many areas where we can operate and work more closely together. I think the 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 initiative that, that China has just agreed to, signing um, on to these communication protocols that other regional navies have uh, had in place for some time, I think is uh, is a very positive step and is indicative of the of the intent to work more closely together. Okay, we have about a minute left. Um, in in addition to um, taking actions or issuing um, threats to Beijing regarding what the U.S. might do in response to provocative actions taken by China. And, and lots of um, President Obama's critics in recent days have said that he hasn't been tough enough um, on China, especially when it comes to uh, China's um, the, the actions taken by China in the South China Sea and the East China Sea. I wonder, from your point of view, do, do you think the U.S. has also um, issued the proper amount of reassurances to China to indicate to it that responsible behavior from China would be welcome? I, I really do believe that that uh, has been the case, and I think it's also very clear, as it has been very clear over the years, uh, whether it's a maritime issue or some other territorial issue, that the position of the United States is that force is not the method with which to resolve these uh, disagreements. And, and I think that's been very clear, and, and, and it is the U.S. presence and the U.S. capabilities and the support that we get from our great allies in the region uh, that allows that tone, if you will, uh, to prevail, and and I think it's very clear uh, what the, the the desire and the intent of the U.S. is uh, in ensuring that there's a peaceful and prosperous Asia well into the future. And, and just very quickly, um, a lot of people have said that the perceived weakness of the U.S. in handling crises in Syria, in the Ukraine, and elsewhere in the world have led to the perception of American weakness in Asia and, and might affect how Beijing would perceive how America would react in in, t- in a time of crisis. Um, do you think there that is one that is the case, and two, whether there are any dangers for America to act tough in Asia to compensate for the appearance of weakness elsewhere in the world? And, and I apologize, we're we have about thirty seconds yeah. left. I, no, I, what I would say is that I I think our position on the use of force has been very clear. I think we have credible forces in the region. Uh, I'm aware of the chatter that has taken place, but I would say that uh, the U.S. resolve should not be doubted. Well, uh, Admiral, thank you very much. It's been great chatting with you. Thank you, and I uh, 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 hopefully we'll have an opportunity to talk again in the future. Absolutely, absolutely. We've been speaking with Admiral Gary Roughhead, former Chief of Naval Operations and uh, former Commander of the U.S. Pacific Fleet and also former Commander of the U.S. Atlantic Fleet. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Ying Ma.
Good morning. Thanks for tuning in to China Takes Over the World. I am Ying Ma. In this segment of our program, we welcome Michael Green, Senior Vice President for Asia and Japan Chair at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. Mike is also a former Special Assistant to the President for National Security Affairs and Senior Director for Asia at the National Security Council during the George W. Bush administration. Hi, Mike. Thanks for joining us. You bet. Um, President Obama returned to Washington last week from his visit to Asia. Do you think he accomplished what he set out to do? For the most part, yes.、Um, this、uh, was supposed to be a trip that took place、um, last year in October, on the occasion of the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation or APEC Summit, and also the East Asia Summit.、Um, so all of those aspects—economic、uh, cooperation, region-wide integration—those themes. Couldn't really address fully,、um, but the other piece of the trip was、um, shoring up and reassuring our maritime allies and Korea、uh, in the face of、um, increasing Chinese pressure on them over territorial issues and other things. And and he, for the most part, did a good job reassuring them, although they still have doubts for a variety of reasons. Uh, well,、um, critics of the Obama administration have complained that since. The administration announced、um, the rebalance toward Asia during his first term. It has been all talk and very little action.、Uh, do you think that observation is fair? And, and do you think we will see more action moving forward? I think there has been、uh, action, and in particular,、um, the U.S. Navy, the U.S. Air Force,、um, and the Pacific Command in general have really.、Um, Ramped up their engagement of the region in the middle of pretty bad defense cuts and sequestration in Washington and uncertainty about defense spending. The Pentagon and the military services have done a pretty good job protecting、uh, most of their budget for engagement with allies and partners in the region and showing the flag. And they're pretty serious about it. And、uh, the Air Force and the Navy, in particular, and the Marines too, are making a lot of um, inroads um, and developing more joint. Combined capabilities、um, agreements, for example, with the Philippines to give us more access, with Japan to revise our defense planning. So there's some real substance there.、Uh, on the trade side, the Obama administration started with basically nothing. They had no strategy,、um, but they've embraced finally the Trans-Pacific Partnership or TPP, which started under the Bush administration and now includes、um, 11 other countries in Asia, including Japan, which is the biggest economic partner. And、uh, you know the negotiations have been intense, and they've worked hard、um, at policy level. But、um, the problem with、uh, the defense side is、um, the, the president is not、um, uh, pushing for a defense budget. He's、um, in this、uh, stare down with the Congress、um, over whether we'll have tax increases or not, and he's not willing to allow、um, uh, the defense budget to,、uh, uh, to grow in the right way. Actually, not grow, but shrink less until Republicans are willing to raise taxes. So this creates a whole shadow of doubt for the region over where our defense policy is heading. And on the trade side,、um, the, the president has,、um, in the second term, sent his guys out to negotiate very hard. But in trade negotiations with the U.S., the other side knows that without Congress, the president can't deliver, and specifically without fast track or trade promotion authority. And the president has, in the views of our trade partners, really not stepped up and tried to get that support from Congress for political reasons that are understandable for him, which is he needs the labor unions and his political base to turn out in the midterm, except them by asking Congress to pass 
um, trade legislation. So there's action, but the political um, investments by the White House have probably been insufficient. Nevertheless, I think it's unfair to say it's all talk and no action. <laughs> well, China has complained repeatedly that the U.S. has actually emboldened its allies, like Japan, to behave provocatively in the region, especially in heated issues such as maritime disputes. Do you think that's true? And do you think the U.S. needs to do more to provide the proper restraint on its allies? So the Chinese do make that charge, um, and uh, they are unhappy uh, with uh, the U.S. Um, reiterating a longstanding policy that our security treaty uh, would apply to any effort to um, coercively take the Senkaku Islands from Japan. Um, and the administration has also, um, you know, beefed up our security cooperation with Malaysia and the Philippines. And the Chinese don't like that, and they say these countries are pulling you into a conflict you don't want. And the tail will wag the dog. The, the Chinese uh, are ambivalent about our alliances and our security partnerships. They see some advantage in the U.S. keeping a watch on Japan and others, um, but they'd like us to slowly let these alliances wither away, and they're unhappy we're beefing them up. What the U.S. government tells the Chinese is, well, you're, you're making this happen. These, this is not us pushing our allies and partners. They're coming to us for help because you're scaring them. And that part of the um, reality uh, for our Chinese friends is not so obvious. They think it's mostly um, misguided and, and ambitious allies. and, and uh, Right, because they've Americans. been saying that they haven't started any of the crises in, in, right. in recent days. They, and... they, they, they say they're reacting to provocations from Japan right. and the Philippines. It's a little bit ridiculous in the Philippines case. The Philippines barely have a navy. <laughs> and the Chinese have been overwhelming the tiny Philippines navy with uh, warships and patrol ships and have basically pushed the Philippines out of the Scarborough Shoals area. In um, the South China Sea. In the South China Sea and have blockaded um, uh, 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 the Philippine uh, uh, ship, an LST, um, to the point where the U.S. is having to help the Philippines sneak in uh, food and fuel. And right, and this is for the second Thomas Shoal. For the second um, Thomas Shoal. So the Chinese are just, you know, all over the teeny Philippine Navy. And uh, for them to say the Philippines are this dangerous, provocative force is a little bit laughable. Japan has a much more substantial military, much more substantial. But the reality is um, uh, that, that Japan doesn't want to take China on. The Japanese are basically trying to um, prevent the Chinese from doing the same thing to them in the East China Sea that they've done to the Philippines in the South China Sea. I thought the president saying in Tokyo that our security treaty uh, applies to this dispute in the Senkakus. We don't have a position on who owns the islands, but if China tries to use force, we're with Japan. He said that very clearly, and it is U.S. policy. And I thought it was good he said it, but what was disconcerting was the Chinese were so surprised and angry. And I think it's a bad sign that the administration surprised the Chinese by, by having the president say this. And I think the Chinese have taken too much comfort from some of the things the administration's put out when they embrace Xi Jinping's new model of great power relations, um, when senior officials say we need strategic reassurance with China, when the 2009 Obama Hu Jintao communique say we will respect each other's core interests. To China, there are a lot of patterns within the administration that look like we're willing to accommodate their rights. Do, do you power. think there's been too much reassurance and not enough of sort of the tougher rhetoric or, or measures there's on the other? too much rhetorical reassurance, not real reassurance, but too much rhetoric about reassurance. And, you know, it was a, a mistake to issue a joint statement with Hu Jintao in 2009 saying we would respect China's core interests. 
And we said Tibet, Xinjiang, and Taiwan. But then the Chinese side at senior level started saying, oh, by the way, it includes the South China Sea and this and that. And the Indians and the Japanese and others were very unhappy with the administration. Uh, they, they were not consulted, by the way. Um, it was a mistake to um, embrace Xi Jinping's formula for a new model of great power relations. Not that we don't want cooperation with China, but when the Chinese talk about a new model of great power relations, they are very deliberately downgrading U.S. relations with Japan, India, and other partners and allies and saying that, the, that this is a new model for Asia, where the great powers in the Chinese view, the U.S. and China, work things out together. So the, the administration's declaratory policy, how they've described relations with China, have been extremely um, disconcerting for allies. And then at other times, we've been very tough on the Chinese. Uh, the pivot, right, uh, the right. Balance, some of the military rhetoric. So the U.S. policy towards Asia since the end of the Cold War has essentially combined engagement and cooperation with China on the one hand with strengthening our alliances and partners on the other. Well, we well, want to work with the Chinese, but we're not sure we can. That combination is the right combination. The administration's gotten in trouble because they've sort of swung from one to the other. Well, let's talk about the pivot or the rebalance, because despite all these um, um, all the rhetorical reassurances that you don't particularly like, the Chinese actually are not particularly happy either because they they see the pivot or the rebalance as just a thinly veiled effort to contain China's rise. Um, but are we now in a situation where the U.S. officially says it's not containing China because Washington says, oh, or at least the Obama administration insists that, no, the pivot is not there to contain China's rise. And then Chinese officials, on the other hand, say say that they are, continue to be very committed to a peaceful rise. Um, but are the two countries then sort of just doing this pretend pretend dance and meanwhile preparing for intense security competition or com- armed conflict with each other? Both sides are hedging. That will not go away. I think we should be honest about it and address those areas and build confidence where we can without, you know, selling out our allies or um, without giving up necessary defensive measures. But we should be honest about it. We're both hedging um, at under sea, in the air, in cyberspace, in outer space. We're, uh, the Pentagon and the PLA are thinking about war-fighting scenarios as the other side develops technologies that um, give them an edge. And it goes both ways. We have some advantages, and China has some advantages. I think for now, and probably for the next 10, 15 years, we have many more advantages, but it's a game. And it will not go away by just saying we want to reassure China. At the same time, we have enormous economic interdependence. And as China goes global and depends more on global energy markets and other things, our interests may align more. It's not all zero-sum. So how do you manage that makes it very very, uh, challenging. And... um, my answer to it would be, you know, follow Theodore Roosevelt's maxim, speak softly, but carry a big stick. <laughs> the administration has um, allowed doubts to grow about the stick because of cuts in defense budget, because of um, things that happen outside of Asia, like Syria, where the president drew a red line and walked away from it. And then they've talked loudly about reassurance, and then at other times talked loudly about pivoting. So there's, there's some confusion in the region, even though the basic policy and the basic strategy is not that different from Bush or Clinton. And uh, part of this stems from the fact that, in my view, the administration has been really lacking in Asia expertise at senior levels. I mean, you look back at previous administrations and you have... Should they um, bring back Mike Green to the NSC? No, 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 I'm not talking about <laughs> my level. I'm talking about the secretaries and the deputy secretaries 
Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> they have some really strong age expertise in the first term. Jim Steinberg, the Deputy Secretary of State, Jeff Bader at the NSC. But, but from the reasons perspective, um, the um, combination of John Kerry and, and Susan Rice uh, looks like uh, <laughs> a team that's more concerned with Europe or the Middle East or Africa than Asia. That may not be fair, uh, but that's the impression that's grown. Um, uh, the Chinese have welcomed this. The uh, People Daily had an editorial welcoming Secretary Kerry, saying he will not make the mistake of meddling in Far Eastern affairs like his predecessor. But others in Southeast Asia and Japan have, have wondered if the administration has lost its interest in Asia. Um, I don't think the administration has. But um, we've not had this sure, um, sure-footed uh, confidence on Asia. We've not had people at senior levels who have an instinctive feel for how what they say in Japan will play in China or vice versa. Um, even in the military, our most senior people are all um, pinned and covered with medals from Iraq and Afghanistan. <laughs> That's where the action was. So um, we're in a bit of a transition period where the American people know Asia is important. Shows in the polls, they say it's the most important region. But our our leading um, foreign policy and defense experts have largely cut their teeth on the Middle East. Um, and I think the pivot, the real pivot, will start to really take effect uh, sometime in the few, next few years when you have um, a Democrat or Republican folks in uniform or in the senior levels of uh, White House and State Department who, um, who really cut their teeth on Asia. Okay, well, we'll have to leave it there. Uh, Mike, uh, thank you for chatting with us. That was Michael Green of the Center for Strategic and International Studies in Washington, D.C. This is China Takes Over the World, and I am Ying Ma.